0: Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by HotMovies.com. HotMovies.com is a video on demand website that offers all of the latest and the greatest adult movies from more than 50 years of adult movie making, including films by me. Go to HotMovies.com slash bonus and enter the promo code Holly, H O L L Y, and you'll get 20 free minutes on HotMovies.com. No purchase is necessary. With special exclusive releases every month, you can always see them first at hotmovies.com. Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by Woo for Play Lube. Have you heard of Woo? Woo is the best organic, all-natural, and antibacterial lube I have ever used. It's made of virgin coconut oil, vanilla essence, natural stevia, and beeswax and is totally free of chemicals and preservatives. And unlike most lubes, Woo also smells and tastes great, just like cupcake frosting. I am not kidding you. Seriously, I offer it to the actors on my sets and we all love it. Woo is simply the best. Silky smooth, all-natural, and tastes like dessert. What more could you want? If you want to enhance your love life or just want a better lube, buy it for yourself or treat that special someone, go to Woo4Play and enter discount code HOLLY and you'll get 10% off your entire order. That's Woo4Play, W-O-O-F-O-R-P-L-A-Y.com with the code HOLLY for 10% off. Get more play with Woo. Hello, listeners. I have a couple things I want to tell you about first of all we are still doing the survey and I would love to have you fill it out go to hollyrandallunfiltered.com and put in your information I want to know more about you guys also if you want to join those who fill out the survey will be eligible for $300 worth of prizes from Babeland so why wouldn't you Secondly, I have a Facebook group and I would love you to join me there. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash Holly Randall Unfiltered and join the community. And then third, I really want to encourage you guys to go visit my website, hollyrandle.com. I work very, very hard on it. I just relaunched it this year. I'm very proud of it and it could use a little bit of love. So thank you all so much and on to the show. Today in the studio, I am very excited to have Eric Paul-Loya in. He is the executive director of the FSC, that's the Free Speech Coalition, and he is going to teach us about a lot of stuff. We're going to talk about the new victory ruling with the 2257 law. We're going to talk about the testing protocol in the adult industry. We're going to talk about why we don't test for herpes, which is a really interesting topic that quite a few people have brought up. We're going to talk about consent in the industry. We're going to talk about um, the whole porn is a public health crisis nonsense. And we're going to talk about their new project, the Inspire program, which is basically a wealth of information that they're going to have for new porn stars, veteran porn stars, and producers as well. So we got a lot of ground to cover, so let's not wait another minute and let's introduce Eric Paul Loya to Holly Randall Unfiltered. Hello everybody, today I have in the studio Eric Paul Loya.
1: Woo, is that right? Yes, you did. Good job. He
0: is the executive director of the FSC, which is the Free Speech Coalition, which is a very, very important and integral part of the adult community. And he's here to teach all of us so much about what's going on in the politics behind porn, what's going on with testing. Um, I have a ton of questions for him because I'm not as well versed in these topics as I should be. And um, you're just you're just going to teach us so much today. I'm so excited. Me too. Good morning. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna come out of here and I'm gonna be so knowledgeable.
1: <laughs> I think you already are.
0: Oh, I don't know about that. You're,
1: okay. I don't know about that. We can do a quiz.
0: Oh no! Well, it depends on what the quiz is about. <laughs> I was talking to um, my boyfriend last night about like how I just don't know anything, and how like I I just I know so much about porn, right? Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I need to listen to, like more science podcasts or. I don't know if I want to listen to more about politics because that's just depressing, but I just want to expand my knowledge because I just feel like I just constantly live in this world of just regurgitating like porn, penis, vagina, cum. Like, I know everything about porn, but I just feel like I'm losing,
1: I don't know, I'm losing my knowledge of, of the world. I used to be smart and I just got dumb. No, I don't think you're dumb. I think you're just trying to stay sane in these insane times.
0: Yeah, it definitely is insane times. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your
1: background. Um so you said my last name right lawyer so yes. I'm uh, I'm an immigrant from East Germany so I grew up behind the wall mm-hmm. um I moved to the United States in 2013 I've worked in HIV policy legislation advocacy and prevention care for about 14 years
2: wow
1: um that's also funny enough how I actually got into the industry because I felt that there were so many unfair attacks levied against the adult film industry mm-hmm. where where I just thought that it, it just sounded unreal and it sounded uh, like energy put into the wrong corner Um, So uh, I uh, became the director of sexual health and advocacy for kink.com back in 2014, stayed with them for a good two years, and then joined uh, joined the FSC as the executive director. Um, I'm also a uh, board of supervisor appointed uh, commissioner on the LA County HIV Commission. Mm -hmm. So um, completely unrelated to my day job. Um, I also, uh, so that includes allocating funds that come from the federal government to the different communities impacted by HIV um, and trying to prevent impact with HIV or by HIV. Um, and obviously, I'll, I won't be speaking in that role because that's not my place, but mm-hmm. um, but um, just to sort of explain some of my background and my knowledge. So I've worked in policy for a good eight years.
0: Okay. So tell me a little <laughs> bit about your beginnings at Kink. So what was your role there again?
1: So I was the Director of Sexual Health and Advocacy.
0: Okay, so why did what is a... Um, a pretty hardcore s porn website, why did they need that role?
1: So I think a lot of people always uh, assume that the porn industry is this weird, greasy, dirty, you know, bald old guy with the gold chain and the dirty wife beater shirt mm-hmm. um, uh, industry and that's really not it. So kink.com is I think especially BDSM and uh, leather porn um, <clears throat> where the sex requires so much more conversation between the partners that are involved. It requires so much more negotiation of consent and sort of active communication, they have a very strong and always had a very strong sort of dedication towards sexual health and making sure that people are educated. So um, at the time, I was Mr. Los Angeles Leather 2014. Which is
0: so awesome. I had a
1: sash. (laughs) (laughs) Was it a leather sash? Totally a leather sash. (laughs) It was like a hand down, there was like names on the back of all the people that had it previously. Oh, that's amazing. I was very sad when I had to give it away. I'm like, oh, this compliments my outfit so well. <laughs> um uh I actually had a picture taken with the then mayor um Ed Lee of San Francisco mm-hmm. um We were both at an official event, and uh I was wearing my sash and we took a picture together and everybody was kind of like <laughs> so anyways um so that's kind of how I started at King.com, and then they uh, they financed a uh, uh, travel for me uh, all over the U.S. Uh, uh, and Canada and some parts of the EU to talk about pre-exposure prophylaxis, which is a daily pill that you can take to that's prevent HIV. Prep, correct. Correct. Okay. So it's covered by your insurance. It's been approved by the FDA in 2012, and. um as HIV is a continuously important topic within the industry, which rightly so, um, it's part of sexual health. Uh, It was important to them to sort of be able to um, be a voice that spreads good knowledge, especially as the AIDS Healthcare Foundation was attacking pre-exposure prophylaxis so Mm. much, which is now understood to be literally the most important um, prevention tool in the HIV prevention toolbox.
0: So can you explain a little bit about how it works? Doesn't it um, help prevent you from contracting HIV from somebody who has it,
1: right? Correct. So um, uh, so the way that pre-exposure prophylaxis works, the easiest way to explain it to any of your female listeners is literally it's birth control for HIV.
2: Mm, okay.
1: um, so you take a pill in advance that pill maintains a drug level in your body. Um, it's not dangerous. Um, obviously, it can have side effects, but those are very minimal. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, and as that drug level is maintained, should HIV ever enter your bloodstream, it uh, to a ninety nine percent certainty will not be able to infect your body because it can't do the biological things it needs to do in order to like infect your body. Interesting. So it's a it's a blocker, and um, we've had medications like this for a very long time. So the other one that people should know is post-exposure prophylaxis which is a drug uh, regimen that you can take with uh, starting within 72 hours after the potential exposure
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that basically leads to um, it, it has the same effect it blocks HIV from replicating in your body and therefore it stops it from infecting your body and um, all of that is obviously based around um, if you are having condomless intercourse with somebody who uh, who. Who might, who you might not be aware of their status, mm-hmm. um, it could be that that person has HIV. But just because a person is living with HIV also doesn't mean that they carry an infectious viral load. So right. that's the other part where HIV com- becomes complicated. But because it, it simply becomes complicated because we have so much good knowledge about it. So when somebody that's living with HIV takes medication, they can basically uh, reduce the virus in their bloodstream to so little that it can't infect somebody else. So, and that's called. Uh, U equals U undetectable equals untransmissible. It's referred to as TASP treatments, as prevention. So it's Kind of, as you will hear, um, I've been doing this for 14 years, so I'm very passionate about it because yeah. it could help us really end the HIV epidemic.
0: That's so, it's so crazy how incredibly far it's become. Because I was talking to my parents, and mm-hmm. the HIV epidemic kind of began, you know, back when they were still shooting adult movies, mm-hmm. and when I was a little girl. Um, you know my parents of their own accord had a when they were casting um, actors for a movie, they had a blood truck come to our house uh-huh. so my parents ran uh, their office out of the guest house behind the main house and they were testing um actors that they were considering casting in the movie to see, to make sure they didn't have HIV before they cast them in the movie, but the whole thing just freaked my mom out so much that that's actually what, one of the main catalysts why she stopped doing movies and just went to like doing, back to doing magazines, because back then when you were shooting magazines, you didn't shoot penetration. Yeah. Because the magazines were distributed over so many different and so many different states, and in Canada and different places, in and different the requirements worlds. of
1: nudity were so different.
0: Exactly, and the internet hadn't come along, so there wasn't a free for all with you know all of that. But that's yeah. literally what like kind of drove my parents out of directing movies. My mom Interesting. Just was like so. Your
1: parents literally started the pass system. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Industry standard testing yeah, started at yeah. Randall's family. I know.
0: All. You know, my mom just. Uh, yeah they just you know felt it was their responsibility to yeah. to test the people but then it just became i think too complicated and probably too costly and yeah. just
1: too scary. Yeah. Well, and then window periods change. So, like mm-hmm. back in the day, we had different tests that, like, you know, you could have an infection, but it wouldn't be detected for six months.
0: Right. Um, exactly. So, like,
1: why are we testing? Like, obviously, good because risk reduction, no matter what. But now, uh, for example, within the PASS system, which is the industry standard testing protocol that FSC mm-hmm. operates, um, so it's a database as well as a testing protocol. Um, uh, we require a, what is called an HIV RNA qualitative test, which basically. Can detect HIV as early as seven days, technically as early as three days, but reliably as early as seven. Right. So, for those <coughs> so of you, we can dive into those more.
0: Right. Yeah, because I, I do. I definitely want to talk about um, the past system. I had Susie Q on mm-hmm. uh, a little while ago, and we talked about it then, and that was that was really helpful because you know there's a huge public misconception that everybody in the adult industry is dirty and STDs are rampant. No. Um, and they don 't understand the HIV testing process, and especially when you know Prop sixty came up, people were saying well you, even though you 're testing for hiv there 's still like this huge window, and you can 't test for it and I think they were people were still quoting that six month window, mm-hmm. but um, it 's changed quite a bit now
1: yes yeah we we had a we had to do a lot of public education during proposition 60. Mm-hmm. so for the listeners um, uh, that may not be uh, aware in 2016 there was a state ballot initiative um, so california is one of those states where citizens or residents in the state can propose a law mm-hmm. and if they get enough signatures for it then they can put it onto the ballot for an election year which then means that all people in the state that are eligible to vote will have to vote on it so that's that's the state ballot proposition in, in a nutshell but um, Um, What was put on the ballot was uh, widely referred to as the condom mandate Mm. for the adult industry. And so what we had to um, educate the public about is that condoms are a good option when you're having sex for like five to ten minutes. Mm. But after that, you know... um, Depending on what lubricant you use, um how big the phallus is. That can I say
0: D-I-C-K? You can say dick, yeah. Yay. You can um, use, swear, <laughs> it's not a problem. I love
1: this show. <laughs> um free speech. So depending on how big the dick is, etc. So there's lots of different impacts that can uh could potentially cause little microabrasions in the in the uh, receptive. Or in the in the bottom partner, so to speak, so whether it's anal or vaginal or right. wherever. So there's lots of other things that fly into why sexual health is more diverse than just here, put a condom on, right, um, exactly. especially in porn. Especially
0: important because you're right, first of all, the time, and then sometimes guys struggle with um, performing with yeah. a condom on, so mm-hmm. that can actually make the scene go longer, yeah. which means that the girl has to deal with the potential for these abrasions longer, yeah. and um, I know quite a few girls who, you know, have said that it's definitely, like, made them really sore the next day. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and it just, uh, and also, I mean, the obvious, it takes away the feeling of the fantasy, which, you know, some people... Don't like some people think
1: it's fine. I know. And uh, during Prop sixty, the other thing that we had to combat was this whole rhetoric that you just said. You know, people presume that the adult industry is dirty, and so its Healthcare Foundation actually went out of their way to try and tell the public um, that porn producers, uh, porn performers, carry diseases into the general public. How much
0: money did they did they sink into their
1: uh, over six million? Over six million, and we had like two hundred. 50,000.
0: <laughs> this is a huge difference. It's so, like insanely unfair. And then there yeah. was this in, there was uh this um big question as to why Michael Weinstein was spending so much donated money mm-hmm. against like attacking such a small part of the population who yeah. was self-regulating yeah. anyhow.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with how the general public sees sex in the mm-hmm. United States. I mean, we, we're the only Western country that has a teenage pregnancy rate of above 16. Mm-hmm. Um, at the worst rates that I've seen, it was 40 per 1,000 young girls under the age of 18. Um, we have rampant HIV infection rates in young adults. We don't have comprehensive sexual health education in schools. And so the easy target is, oh, look at this population of like 10,000 people in the United States that do sex on film so obviously it's all their fault mm-hmm. and they're too small to defend themselves and mm-hmm. I think what was really powerful about 2016 and, and Prop 60 and the battle that we waged um, I was the campaign manager on it um, was really how everybody came together so it was no single person's effort it was really a group effort and everybody spoke out for themselves and I think the the message that rang loud and clear is that workers in the state of California should have the right to control what happens to their bodies it shouldn't be government regulated and um that uh, especially in an uh, in a sexual environment consent is important and that whoever person's body it is it is their choice mm-hmm. um so our body our cho or our bodies our choices uh was part of our slogan and so i think it really permeated the industry as well as the general public in the end we with our little tiny meager budget uh, we were able to score endorsements by the Democrats Republicans and libertarians which is very
2: <laughs> rare yeah that they
1: all agree on something. So we were a little shocked, but it was great. Um, And and in the end, we've won with, um, I think it was over 8% percentage points throughout the state Mm -hmm. and over a million votes, considering that we had no budget.
2: Right, right, right. Like right. no
1: budget. Right. The industry was uh, we we reached out to industry companies. Uh, they produced our our videos. Um, donated their time. So we you know we filed all of that for them. Um, and uh, and that's how we build our campaign videos. Um, I think the thing that we spent the most money on was robocalls. Mm. We spent about a hundred thousand dollars on sort of targeting key constituencies and key areas. And um, uh, when we saw the numbers come back from Los Angeles County, and Los Angeles County was kind Kind of fifty fifty. We knew we had a chance. Okay. So election night was horrifying.
0: No, I'm <laughs> a little bit confused because didn't Prop sixty pass? No,
1: it did not pass. No, we won.
0: What something passed.
1: Before, Before that. that. <clears throat> so that was Measure B and that was 2012. Measure
0: B, okay, that's, that's what That's only it is. L.A. County. I'm getting those two confused. Okay, yeah, thank yeah. you, I told you. You I are more know.
1: knowledgeable than you give yourself credit. You know it, you just need to put it in the right box.
0: <laughs> okay, so Measure B was what
1: passed? So yeah, Measure B is basically a smaller version of Proposition 60 and it passed in L.A. County in 2012. So right. first there was a city ordinance, the city was really uncomfortable with it, AHF kept pushing, and then the 2012 rhetoric was was just really poor mm-hmm. um and LA county totally went for it and mm-hmm. uh, that's part of the reason why in LA county now if you want to produce an adult film you have to register it with LA film you have to register it with the department of public health mm-hmm. you have to pay fees and fines for about $2000 mm-hmm. so it just it destroys um the ability for uh, performers to basically work with each other mm-hmm. uh uh within the county and it and it creates a really dangerous underground cottage industry
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is
1: exactly what we warned everybody about in Prop sixty. And funny enough, during Prop sixty, everybody listened. But during Prop uh, during Measure B in two thousand twelve, they just didn't.
0: I think I I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like we didn't really have our shit together back then. And I think it once was a that, very
1: different message.
0: Yeah, and I think also once that passed, people realized like we're kind of screwed. Because yeah, uh, Prop sixty was when you know was incredible the way everybody came together. I've kind yeah. of never really seen the adult industry come together mm-hmm. that way. The adult industry has definitely. Been kind of disjointed over the years and not very organized. Uh And I think it's because, you know, it's a lot of people who are kind of coming in from different areas and it's like. I don't know. It's almost like misfits, a little bit.
1: Well, and I think back in the '80s, mm-hmm. or um, or even earlier than that, what we had is we we didn't have the internet, as you said yourself. Right. So you had to come together. You had to meet. Right. You had to produce. We didn't have webcams. We didn't have clips for sale. Mm-hmm. We produced VHS movies and mm-hmm. shipped them in like nondescript envelopes all over right. everywhere. So it was a very different thing. And so what well, we've what well, we've uh, what FSC has always said, and FSC has been around since um, since nineteen. Ninety-one. Mm-hmm. So we're twenty-seven years old now. Um, uh, what we've always said is that there's danger when our community gets so spread apart. Mm-hmm. But um, we're also not opposing any of the um, amazing technological advances that the industry is bringing forward. I mean, yeah. just look at platforms like Just for Fans, OnlyFans, the webcam industry. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing incredible things, ChatterBait, etc. So you put
0: the power back in the performers' hands, and I
1: love that. Yeah, so and that's so in uh, during Measure B, the rhetoric of the uh, campaign was actually that um, Measure B would cost the porn industry too much money so they would go bankrupt and that wasn't really a message that Los Angelinos were feeling Passionate about, mm-hmm. um, they didn't feel compassion towards the adult film industry. Mm-hmm. But in but in 2016 during Prop 60, my goal was to really highlight the individuals in the industry to mm-hmm. highlight how empowering adult film actually is to women. Mm-hmm. I'm a gay man, yeah, um, but uh, to women to basically be able to say yes, no, yes, no, right. and have that absolute control is something that always fascinated me and right. something that I felt was something that needed to be elevated. Mm-hmm. So during Prop sixty, we actually made it a very clear stance. We even have, uh, uh, if you think about it, we have webcam performers that are teachers that work with their partners because they don't make enough money. Mm-hmm. So now the state wants to regulate how that married couple has sex with each other just because it's on film. Yeah, that just sounds strange.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's funny <laughs> that really played out in in my own life because I used to host a show for Playboy TV called Adult mm. Film School, and I remember when we did that whole. Um, When we went to Cal, when we flew to Kalosha, Kalosha, where did we go? Sacramento.
1: Oh, they're all over the place. Walnut Creek is the cutest place.
0: Yeah, that's where we. That's where like the whole adult industry and everyone like stood in line and went and spoke Mm -hmm. in front of Kalosha. And I remember I talked about this because the show is um, real life couples Mm -hmm. getting a professional sex tape made, Mm -hmm. and because it was Playboy, they play by all the rules. They get the permits, they get all that stuff. So the first season we shot in L.A. and we used condoms because that was the law. And the fail rate was so high because you've got... And specifically, we had to get people that had never had sex on film before, you know, mm-hmm. and it is not an easy thing to do. It's very intimidating. Mm-hmm. And we were getting real life couples. We were getting husband and wives who've been married for 13 years, have three kids. They haven't used condoms in all that time. And then yeah. all of a sudden, not only are we going to make you have sure. sex on film, we're going to make you wear a condom <laughs> with your wife yeah, who you don't wear a condom with in your regular life because the government said so.
1: And they were like, huh?
0: So we, so the guys had a real, I mean, it's already a struggle. Yeah. With the condom, it was yeah. even more of a struggle. So like it was so painful to shoot these scenes and so many of the guys couldn't perform and it was humiliating for them. Mm-hmm. And like the I mean it,
1: I just felt like I was crushing dreams. Well and then right. the head starts spinning oh, and then you yeah. get insecure about Absolutely. it. And then you're like, oh my god. I almost
0: wondered like how many like couples split up after they like <laughs> I just felt like it was so so, anyways, when we did season two, they specifically moved the entire operation to Austin to mm-hmm. avoid the condom rule. Yeah. So we took all these jobs out of LA and moved it to Austin, yeah. because the government was making real life couples yeah. wear condoms because it was on film, and it was just—it was just one of those cases where it was so clear to me yeah. that this law is not working.
1: Well, and I think I think the other thing that we saw during Prop sixty Kalosha and uh, and some other laws that were fighting around the United States, like the porn is a public health crisis rhetoric that President right. Trump endorsed, right. um,
0: which is. Hilarious.
1: Yeah. Because, considering who it is, Yeah. Considering that we're the public health crisis, but not the lack of access to health care or, I mean, I, I could go on about yeah. this for an hour. But um, so what we also saw is that <clears throat> the industry hasn't done a really great job in explaining who we are. Right. So a lot of legislators, uh, elected officials, regulators, they have to make assumptions based on sort of what they've heard or seen. Mm-hmm. And Boogie Nights is just not a representative feature of right. who our industry is anymore right. and um, when we then look at stuff like Rashida Jones uh, Hot Girls Wanted which is also not very representative it becomes really dangerous to for people to make assumptions about us and so I think um, when I joined FSC uh, in 2016 early 2016 was right dumped into both of these battles
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I mean Kalosha happened 19 days after I joined um, luckily I'd been working on, regu- on the regulatory side for a very long time before that so I knew what I was doing but um what uh what we've really found is that sitting down with a regulator and legislator and sort of just Bluntly answering any question that they have and taking no offense mm. and highlighting why certain things are a lot more complicated than they seem on the face, mm. um, uh, has really changed and helped sort of set the tone for uh, a legislative and regulatory environment that's open to listening. Um, uh, it's very few legislators and regulators that really think that we're the issue. I think the bigger issue is really just that we haven't communicated well, which is part of because we're fantasy industry. Mm-hmm. We Produce entertainment, we don't want our viewers to have to deal with the mundane behind the scenes, like things that destroy that fantasy right. because then that product becomes sort of worthless almost. So it's that balance that needs to be struck. It's so
0: funny that you <clears throat> say that, and it's absolutely so true because I always joke with people. I'm like, you know, cause people are like, oh, I want to come work for you. And I'm like, do you like porn? <laughs> do you, are you into porn? They're like, yeah, I love porn. I'm like, then don't, you, don't come work for me because it will ruin it for you. <laughs> Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the podcast but I really want to tell you about this new service I've been using. With my busy schedule it can be difficult to eat right all the time and get the nutrition I need to work those long days on set. But it's not just me. Did you know that 90% of people don't meet their FDA recommended daily nutritional needs? That's why I started taking care of a monthly subscription vitamin service. They have a quick five-minute online quiz that you fill out, and I was able to answer these in-depth questions about my diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices. I love that it even addressed my issues with energy and sleep. My personalized vitamins were delivered right to my home and neatly organized into little easy-to-remember packets. If you have a busy, constantly-on-the-go lifestyle like I do, it's super convenient. I just slip one into my purse, and I'm set for the day. I've been taking them for about a week now and I've already noticed a big difference. I don't have any of the digestion issues that have been plaguing me for the last few weeks and my energy levels are noticeably higher. So visit takecareof.com to get your own personalized care of vitamins conveniently delivered right to your door and if you enter promo code HOLLY you'll get 25% off your first month. That's takecareof.com and save 25% on your first month with my code holly stay healthy and take care of yourself with care of
1: I can't watch any porn anymore. Oh, because no, I know everybody. I. Yeah,
0: exactly. I'm like, this is not. This is. Not I know okay. everyone. <laughs> I like know that location. Yeah. I know what that owner's like. I know that like they're not allowed to work on that couch. Oh my god! You're not supposed to fuck on that couch. What are you doing? <laughs> he if he finds out he's gonna kill you. Why are you this... not allowed
1: to work on a couch?
0: Well, because certain. It's like, like their favorite. Like, yeah, exactly. Oh, like it's like Patrick. oh, that's the couch we sit on and watch TV. <laughs> Don't have. This sex is here. the couch you can have sex on, <laughs> or like this other. I, once I watched this other scene. It's okay. Snartier, it's so cute. There was this other scene that I watched, and it was an oil scene. And I know the location owners don't allow you to use oil there because they mm-hmm. just put sandstone in outside. Yeah, don't use and, oil on sandstone. Yeah, and I saw this, and she's like pouring oil all over herself. Like, I'm like, oh my God, you're <laughs> ruining their floor. They're going to kill you when they find oh, out.
1: And it's so hard to get oil out of sandstone. It didn't come out. No, I know. It you didn't literally, come out. like, there's the When only- I
0: went back and I saw them, they were like, oh, I'm oh. like, I saw the video. I'm so.
1: At that point, all you can do is pour oil over all the sandstone. Yeah, and just make it all. Yeah, which yeah. is not. The no, name. no. Anyway, so my gay interior design gene is coming through, so <laughs> I apologize. Um, but yeah, no, in, uh, porn is definitely interesting. When I joined kink.com and they, um, uh, and I was putting together like a sexual health board of mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, cause, just like any other industry, just like any other community, there are people that um, that need to know where the next AA meeting is or the mm-hmm. next uh, uh, crystal meth anonymous meeting mm-hmm. is or like where's the next hospital, like if you need something or otherwise. So I was putting together this big old board and uh, some of the directors were like, come visit our set and I was like, oh my god I get to see a kink.com set that is so awesome. And then I went there and it was like, oh here's the paperwork this is what you need to sign, you need to negotiate this and this and this with everybody, you need to have a very clear conversation and like, is every Comfortable with watching with Eric watching, and I was like, Oh, this kind of just ruined the mood. But it was incredible because I was like, Oh, those are all the things that we as viewers don't get to see that actually happen behind the scenes, right? Which I thought was really great.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I want to ask you about mm. uh, the recent victory ruling with the 2257 rule. Can you explain? Because a lot of people have no idea what 2257, and even in the industry, the only comprehension that people have with 2257 is that. That's the part of the paperwork that they have to fill out where Mm -hmm. models put in that they're of legal age Uh and all their identifying information to prove that they're of legal age. So we know it has something to do with age requirements and then I remember back um, when you know we used to have a lot of foreign performers come over and shoot over here and then there was this 2257 ruling which basically eliminated that so if you didn't have a US issued government ID Uh we could not shoot you Uh out here and it had something to do with trying to prevent sex trafficking which Uh didn't seem to make any sense.
1: So there's different laws that all fall into that conversation. There's the Man Act. Um, There's the problem that uh, trafficking is defined. Five different ways in U.S. law, mm-hmm. just because U.S. law has been evolving so much, and it's kind of like, which area does this apply right. to? So how do we need to define it? But just sticking, uh, to 2257. So 2257, obviously, I can't give anybody legal advice, so I'm not giving legal advice. I'm just gonna get, do the best of summarizing in my little, in my little, uh, gay words, uh, what it, <laughs> what it all means. <laughs> um, so, uh, so 2257, yes, as you said, is rightly sort of referred to as age verification mm-hmm. for the workers, for the performers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the whole story started somewhere along the '80s. Um, there were obscenity cases filed against the industry. I'm sure that your parents were oh, sort yeah. of w- well aware yeah. um, of the whole obscenity prosecutions and otherwise. So at some point, all of that fell flat because they couldn't get through. Um, <clears throat> because largely, what is,
0: like, what is obscene? It's all it's well, a very and it's like, community like, standards. So yeah, it's like it changes, th- right, right? Right. So
1: so the FFC did an incredible job back then already fighting uh, for producers and and, uh, and performers alike and sort of protecting their rights to produce adult content and it's now protected constitutionally in California and in New Hampshire but more importantly so 2257 was sort of um, do you remember Tracy Lords Oh
0: are you kidding me?
1: Yeah so you,
0: you don't know my Tracy Lords story No Oh I have a Tracy Lords story it? Yeah. Am I allowed to know about it yeah, yeah yeah I talked about it with my parents So my mom shot Tracy so for those of you who don't know Tracy Lords was a very big porn <clears> star <throat> turned out she was underage people didn't know My mom shot more content on her than all Almost anybody. Mm -hmm. She was actually like a friend of my mom's. Um, She came to like my birthday parties when I was a little girl. So I knew her as very, very young. And when it came out that she was underage, my parents flipped out because they had so much content of her and obviously they didn't know she was underage. And um so they actually went, took all these slides and in a panic drove around LA dumping them in different dumpsters and behind <laughs> grocery stores, like underneath like trash. And I remember my parents sat me down and I was maybe, I don't know, like seven or something like that. And they said to me, they go, Look, because um, they thought the cops were going to come and take them away to jail, you know, and like they normally show up early in the morning when you're in bed. Yeah. So they were like, if the cops come and take mommy and daddy away to jail, we need you to take care of your little brother, and here are some phone numbers <laughs> that you need to call. And I remember being so and like
1: I'm seven. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I was so confused. I was like, I don't understand because they couldn't obviously really explain to me yeah. what was going on. Yeah. And I was like, why would mommy and daddy go to jail? Like, who's, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. it was so confusing to me. And I remember Ugh. that very, very well. Yeah. So yeah, Tracy Lawrence had a big effect
1: on my family that's interesting. Wow, I did not know that. Thank yeah. you for sharing. Mm-hmm. So um, so part of what happened then is that basically legislators decided, oh my god, there's this massive <laughs> epidemic of underage workers in the adult industry, which is really just not the case. Yeah. Um, and obviously in Tracy Lourdes' case, she had a specifically faked ID, so even when I did like, even though IDs were checked, um, she was walking around with a fake ID, so how yeah, would people know? I think she know?
2: got
0: um, what was it, like her cousin's <coughs> or something's birth certificate, and then used that to get an Something actual like ID Issued from like the uh, California DMV or something like that. Yeah, so, like, so the ID itself was real, but the information on was, it was fake. Yeah. And it was falsified by her.
1: Yeah. So, so, and, and so what happened is that the legislature or the government basically decided, oh my God, this is, this is the big story. We need to focus on this. We need to spend millions of dollars on regulating this industry to prevent this. Long story short. So the FSC has been fighting these lawsuits. Um, we started, uh, I think a first iteration happened sort of, um, through Joel Kaminsky, Good Vibrations, uh, family. They had a first iteration of it. Then the FSC took it over. There were a couple industries companies that all suit individually, long story short, fast forward, um, we are uh, we are now in a place where we have scored major victories against it. So for one, there was a big victory around, um, and this is why most people don't know about it in the industry anymore, is because of the way that FSC has been uh, very successful in legally advocating against 2257, the FBI actually stopped Investigating it and Mm -hmm. stop sort of randomly showing up at people's stores without warrants because
0: they would do that. They would show up randomly at your office and demand um, that you show them all the paperwork on all of the models. So and and
1: the FSC basically got that to stop, um, which most people don't know because our industry has this interesting cycle of like. Two to five years, and then people like come in and phase out. And That's there's true. very few people that stay long term. So there's yeah. very few people that remember that entire history. Yes. And uh, so anyway, so we got that to stop, and then um, we were fighting in the third circuit uh, on several levels. We won first one on the Fourth Amendment, which is basically in regards to the unwarranted searches and and other things. And mm-hmm. so and so what the courts decided on is that there was supposed to be something called strict scrutiny on when a judge tries to sort of uh, issue a search warrant or something and that's a very high legal bar. It basically means that the body that is investigating like the FBI already has all the information that very clearly says this person is underage this is why we need to go in check that they have the records and then basically enforce. So FSC won a really big victory on that and that's final. Um, What we're now fighting is the First Amendment right because it's an undue burden towards our industry to require us to do specific additional steps in record keeping when in any other industry you pull up an ID. You look at the ID, you say, yes, this says you're over 18, so you're good. Um, uh, and in our industry, it's this. Big, gigantic deal, um, and with separate records and how they need to be filed and where they need to be filed. And so we've been fighting on First Amendment grounds and we won, um, uh, in the sort of the first step. So, uh, Judge Bailson ruled in favor of us, um, or in favor of our arguments. Um, but, <clears throat> but now the government has appealed that decision. So it's going back to the Third Circuit. Long story short, um, FSC has been fighting this for a good 10 years. Um, we've spent probably about a million dollars on it. We owe, I think, somewhere around $165,000 on the lawsuit right now, and it continues to rack up. So that's why it's important to sort of support the FSC as an individual, as a company, because there is so much... Yes, it probably, you don't feel like it applies anymore, but if we lose, it sets a terrible precedent for any loss that will come in the future, and it's really hard to translate that oftentimes. Um, what's really interesting about it is, so, giving you a little bit of nerd brain wisdom, so, um, one appeal, or one lawsuit was lost in what's called the Ninth Circuit, right. and then our lawsuit is in the Third Circuit, which is where we're winning. So, now what's interesting is, if we now win in the Third Circuit, does that mean that we we have a split, so we have one circuit that says yeah, no, and the other one that says yes, does that mean we'll end up in the Supreme Court? Mm. Um, and if we end up in the Supreme Court, it'll be the second time that that an FSC lawsuit ends up in the Supreme Court, and the first one we obviously won. Um, so uh, so it's so it's interesting. It's a space to watch. Um, it's a big investment by the FSC. Um, there's a lot of things that we would love to do and get done for the industry, but simply because we have this gigantic legacy battle, mm-hmm. it holds us back with a lot of our resources sources Of investing into other projects, which is unfortunate but also important. Right. So it's that weird balance that we have to strike.
0: Where can people go? And we'll plug this again at the end of the podcast, mm. but where can people go to donate to the FSC?
1: So um, you can become, uh, you can either donate, which is uh, under free speech coalition.com. There's a tab that's called membership. Mm-hmm. Just click on that and you can make a donation, or you can just join as a recurring member. We also just introduced um, a great new benefits program for individuals, which is called a NextGen. So people actually now have access. To Teledoc Health, have access to legal services and everything else, all rolled into their membership. So if you pay. 10 15 20 or 25 dollars a month you get a whole slew of individual benefits uh, uh, added to it it's not insurance but it's an incredible benefits package because mm-hmm. one of the things that FSC has recognized um, since I joined uh, uh, three years ago is that we see a lot of performers that either don't have health insurance mm-hmm. and so any access to health care is good they travel a lot so a lot of HMO insurances only cover you when you're home and local right but performers will end up in New York they'll be in Florida they They'll travel all over, so what do you do with your HMO doctor? You still go to the ER, you still spend $100, $500 on paying the ER, and then you might end up with additional bills afterwards. So what we wanted to make sure is that people had a place where they could basically FaceTime a doctor and say, this is what I'm feeling, can you issue me a prescription? And they say yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing that we get a lot is performers... The way that our industry is discriminated against is not just on the political level, but landlords, um, mainstream jobs. So if they have a secondary banks. job, banks huge problem, yep. recurring. Yeah, people um,
0: can't shut down when yeah. people find out that you're an adult performer and the problem is, is that banks are private institutions so mm-hmm. they can do what they want. Because not
1: that they are regulated by the government? Right. And there's interesting things happening with that too. Yeah. Um, which we can talk about. But um, NextGen also includes legal services which means like if you have a problem and that's 90% of the calls that we get from performers is I have an issue, I need an attorney, where do I go? Mm-hmm. And the first step is always that any attorney that they could talk to could give them some sort of understanding of whether this is a legal situation or not. So that's all included within the membership benefits as well. So support FSC, and FSC supports you.
0: Okay, I want to talk about the Inspire program.
1: Yes. So, Inspire, uh, so Susie Q used to work for us. Um, uh, she started doing social media for us uh, uh, during Kello Show um, because she's she's a great wizardress of uh, social media. And uh, so, uh, one of the things that when Susie was working with me, what we came up with is you know, we have so many people that new, come new into the industry all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we share knowledge? Right. Because we don't all need to reinvent the wheel. Like, mm-hmm. we should all know, okay, when And you get a paycheck. Take fifty percent of that. Put it into savings because you're going to have to pay taxes at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, So hold your money back. Don't go and buy. I mean, I
0: can't tell you how many letters I get from the IRS about mm -hmm. putting liens on performers because they don't pay their
1: taxes. Which is all the time. Which is so sad because it's like, okay, you make money. Count on fifty percent of that disappearing. If it's less than that. Awesome. Yeah. Then you have a savings account, literally, and having savings is really important, mm-hmm. especially in crazy, insane times as we live. Yeah. Um, but uh, so so. Wait, where did I start off with this?
0: We you were talking about inspire. inspire. Oh my god. Yes.
1: I was like, taxes, taxes, so much taxes, and so many taxes. Anyways, so what we wanted to do is like, okay, so how do we, how do we, where do we share that knowledge? Where do we share what it means to be an adult performer? Because so many people come in and they see, oh, I can make a thousand dollars here just by like having sex on camera. That's Awesome. Let me go do that. What they don't realize is that somebody will always find your face. Somebody will find your name. Somebody will figure out who you are, where you live. And part of that was also what we explained during Proposition sixty: is sort of the discrimination, but also sort of the obsessive fans that our performers sometimes mm-hmm. can can get. And fans are amazing, but also performers need a private life. They need balance. They need some space yeah. to recuperate, recharge, so that they can give great performances. So, anyways, um, so uh, so we wanted to. Play Place where we could communicate and all of that, and so we said, okay, so we need an industry newcomer support program, and we're like, INSP. That sounds really stupid, and then we were thinking, we were, I think we were walking to lunch or something. We were both thinking about like, what could we call it? So we came up with Inspire mm-hmm. because it's, it, it really is, it's supposed to be an inspiration. And so um, Lotus, um, Lotus Lane uh, joined us uh, end of last year. Mm-hmm. She's this incredible queer black uh, performer that um, I've, I've loved and adored for the long time and so she's been talking with performers and getting it all put together and so we're just about to launch the first page that is specifically for new performers um, then we'll have one that is for seasoned performers for producers oh so you want to be a producer in the adult industry because you think that's all glamorous and great here's the facts uh. and so I know and so so a couple of things I could say <laughs> I know so as we just learned right yeah so what we wanted to do is basically it's supposed to be a knowledge sharing sharing tool for mm-hmm. people that are interested in working in the industry, but also in parts for people that are interested in learning about the industry. Mm-hmm. Because there is there are so many misconceptions about mm-hmm. the industry, and so we felt that if we had a public program that even journalists could access and sort of read through mm-hmm. so that they could better understand the life of an adult performer, mm-hmm. better understand the life of a producer, a talent agent, and then we're building the same thing also for the pleasure products industry because FSC obviously doesn't just represent adult entertainment but also sex toys, mm-hmm. so we we cover all the fun bits um and uh so we're also doing that because a lot of people don't know about all the regulations that uh, sex toys are under different product testing regulations product safety regulations how they vary between the eu and the u.s i mean that's that's a whole nother podcast about yeah. sex toys but um so so basically what inspire is supposed to be is really a knowledge sharing platform that'll expand and grow and Hopefully be fabulous
0: yeah i mean there 's definitely a big need for new performers to mm-hmm. learn about the industry because they just come in and there and you know a lot of times our agents won 't tell them what 's going on because mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately it's not in their best interest you know yeah. they just and they and they recognize that a lot of these girls come in and then they go as soon as they as they come in so they, i think you know some of them feel like it's a waste of time to mm-hmm. like explain to them yeah you know, so, and also too some people just don't want to listen
1: yeah and it's then it's, when we talk about agents it's important that um, if you're looking for an agent always take a licensed agent yeah so agent talent agencies um, are required by law to be licensed which means that they have a bond they have insurance if something happens Happens, there are specific regulations that cover them, so it's really important that you check that your talent agent has a real license. And part of the Inspire program will talk about that too.
0: Interesting. Um, okay, I want to talk also about Ooh. consent in the industry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yay! All the fun topics. I love how
0: excited you are about all of this. I mean, I some of this. this, I feel like the. I mean, you're such a wealth of information, and you must have to deal with so many different topics all the time, like.
1: Does your brain just ever explode? Um, no. So they legalized pot in the California. <laughs> and so it makes for really good sleeps. <laughs> no, so it's uh, it's interesting. It's um the biggest challenge that FSC really has is the strap of resources because there are so many things that we know. Mm-hmm. We see them, we want to fix them. Mm-hmm. But we kind of and I'm the worst of this. I'm kind of um, I'm kind of like a little puppy that's like, ooh, squirrel, shiny things. Ooh. So I like you know, and uh, so my team and I were really Good in sort of keeping each other streamlined, and we're like, okay, so this is the next topic that we're focusing on. This is like, this is the idea pot. This is what we can draw from if we ever end up not having something to do, which never happens. Um, And then, like, you know, we're just trying to make progress. So, consent. Is this other thing that people don't so don't talk about? So, as I said, I grew up in East Germany. Actually, funny enough, one of the things that we learned in, in school, in high school, under sexual health, was how to negotiate with your partner what you're interested in or what you want to do, or sort of like how your sexual health is going to work while you're having sex, etc. So, There's consent. The thing that you
0: guys learned in school, yeah, like yeah, in
1: high school. Yeah, it's like instead of debate class. Mm-hmm. We had how to communicate with each other on a respectful and sort of, you know, compromising level. God, so instead so, of just We're so fucking behind in this country. It's a little interesting. I mean, coming
0: from cuz you know, my parent my mom's English and and my dad's South African, so I also come So from you like, had a lot
1: of cup of teas?
0: <laughs> yes, yes. They're I very big. That. They're very big on tea. Um but you know, I come from a background that that does see this discrepancies between like American culture mm-hmm. and, you know, European culture and 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 sex specifically. Mm-hmm. So when you came here from Germany and especially now that you're working in, you know, it was pretty a much shock. the yeah, I was going to say the American it was sex industry. So Are you a just shock. like what the fuck is wrong with It was with you? a total shock. And I mean, <laughs> that's
1: that's part of why I ended up becoming uh, Mr. L.A. Lover. <laughs> because, um... I was so dumbfounded by the conversations that I would have with potential sexual partners. Mm. Where, um, so I grew up, uh, like when I was 14, I knew what HIV was. I knew how it was transmitted. I knew how it was prevented. Um, back then we were almost ready to know that when somebody takes medication, it can't be transmitted onwards, et cetera, et cetera. So when I came to the United States, I was like, why are we talking more about herpes which is a skin to skin transmissible disease than HIV mm-hmm. and why are we equating the two when they're completely different mm-hmm. and so there were a lot of shock moments that I faced when we were talking about sexual health and that was largely why I also ended up in porn because I was like there is literally no better place to talk about sex mm-hmm. than in the porn industry or in the adult film industry I so, have a question for you just yeah. real
0: quick about herpes Do you have um, a
1: question for me? That's so rare I know,
0: right? <laughs> I Clearly I've been been providing all the information like, on this podcast, <laughs> um, so can you? Since herpes is skin to skin, is it possible to transmit it even when you're wearing a condom? Yeah. Okay.
1: So herpes, like anybody that has ever had a cold sore, has herpes.
0: Yeah, but that's herpes simplex one, correct?
1: However, yes. Because so it's, in, it's it's up here yes. for the people that can see yeah. up. Um, but so what's really interesting about it is so everybody has always assumed that there's so. Sorry, start over. So there's herpes we refer to. Herpes is called herpes simplex virus. Mm-hmm. Herpes is categorized into two different categories, which is basically herpes simplex virus one and herpes simplex virus two, which is HSV1 and HSV2 for short. Um, now, what is always talked about is that HSV2 is the one that calls genital herpes, Well, herpes, one, can cause that, too. Mm -hmm. Um, It all depends on your body. It depends on your immune system. There's a lot of research that's happening around herpes. 90% of the American population has herpes. 90%? 90% of the American population has herpes. So the prevalence of herpes is so great. Right. Um, There is no vaccine against it, and it's skin-to-skin transmissible. So there is just the freak out about it is a little bit misplaced. Mm -hmm. It's important to know about, it's important to pay attention to, but it's also a question of, like, can we even test for it, and when can we test for it? Is it always detectable, or are there times when your test wouldn't even pick up that you have a herpes infection? And If we wanted to, as an industry, for example, rule out people from working in the industry that have herpes or carry the virus, Mm Then we would probably roll out ninety percent of the people in the industry so it 's it's, it's an important conversation to have. I would never want to say that n- that an sti is not important however. Like,
0: it's one of those tri- I'm so glad you brought that up because it is one of the things that isn't tested for yeah um, and I think that what you're saying is that well pretty much everybody has it and mm-hmm. it sounds like it's really tricky to test for so can, do you know can you test for it? if you don't have a flare-up can you test for it and so not yes. show up or G- like how
1: does that work so you can test for it it could be that it doesn't show up Sim- okay. similar to HPV mm-hmm. um, human papilloma virus which is actually here's a total plug um, the uh, so that we have a New vaccine against HPV. It's totally safe. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a new vaccine that's called Gardasil nine. It vaccinates against the top nine dangerous strains of HPV. There's like over a hundred, so okay. we're not going to go through those. But HPV is also a skin to skin transmissible disease. Of course, as standard, the boys usually carry it, but the women have these, have the effects, and that's where it really builds out. It can cause cancer. Um, for boys, it usually causes cancer in the throat. For women, it can cause cervical cancer. Um, not always. Very rare. There's a small number of people that actually get cancer from it, but um, the FDA just approved this new vaccination and also approved it for use up to the age of 45. Mm-hmm. So until recently, it was sort of, I think it was limited on 26 years old. So if, yeah,
0: that's what I heard. They wouldn't vaccinate you if you're No, vaccinated.
1: because you've already had sex, so you already have it. And then at some point, the FDA was like, well, just because you could have one strain doesn't mean you have all of them. Yeah. And then they figured out that um, even if you have one strain, you take the vaccination, it still prevents the other strains mm-hmm. as well as probably prevents the first strain that you might have already had from actually breaking out. Mm-hmm. So I'm literally in the process of getting my HPV vaccinations because I'm 32 mm-hmm. um, and uh, I never had them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually the one thing that we didn't talk about in German high school. Mm-hmm. Um, HPV was the thing that I did not know about. That's the one thing I learned yeah, about very, in the US. That's
0: pretty new though. It's right?
1: very specific and I, I don't know if it's new. I just felt like There's it was more on talked about. on the
0: about public here. radar recently. Possibly. Yeah, I'd never heard about it. Possibly.
1: So so... HPV vaccinations are awesome. They're covered by your health insurance. As long as we still cover pre-existing conditions, we will also (laughs) cover preventatives. So yay. For the listeners that are live right now, tomorrow is voting. So please go vote for everybody that is listening uh, to the recording at a later date when it's released. Then uh, thank you for voting. (laughs) I'll just say that. Sorry. (coughs) Shameless plug. But we started off at consent. Mm-hmm. So, consent is important, and, um, uh, so because there is a lot of people that come into the industry that have either never received sexual health education in school, have not received that training that I referred to when I was younger uh, and back in German high school. Um, and uh, so negotiating consent is really important with your partner, whether it's you're on a date, whether you're in porn, whether you're in the general public. Like, mm-hmm. consent is always important. It's kind of for everybody that remembers dirty dancing, mm-hmm. my dance area, your dance area. Mm-hmm. And then you negotiate it's sort of like, which dance area do we want to engage in? So <clears throat> what we see a lot in the industry is that people make assumptions um, that somebody has understood what they're required to do, mm-hmm. or what they're asked to do, or what they're, what they're getting themselves into, or they misunderstand what the person was comfortable with, or what they not what we were not comfortable with. Um, sometimes we see that uh, consent is violated because people don't understand everything that should be just talked about. Right. And so um, we actually brought um, a master's in social work on board, uh, Scarlett Sin. She also joined us at the end of last year, and we've been working for over six months to uh, build a catalog of questions and look into different technological options on how to deploy this to the industry. So we're kind of at the... Um, we're kind of at the point where we're about to launch, but we're still doing fine tuning. And so, what we wanted to build is basically a standardized um, uh, list of like, here's all the things you should talk about. And you, as yourself, if you were about to perform, you can go through that list and say, okay, so I'm interested in doing this. I'm not interested in doing this. This is what I have experience with. This, this is, is what I don't.
0: Something that's been big in the kink community for a long it's time. So this kind of conversation, because I remember I had a relationship with a dom once. Ooh. Ooh, yes, it was very fun was
1: it 50 shades in the good way
0: yes yes <laughs> I love it was it. um it was definitely an educational experience I'll put it that way. <laughs> but i remember he gave me he gave me a checklist and you're like what and i was like what's going on here <laughs> but it was it was to be fair it was the most i've ever communicated with anybody mm-hmm. about sex i had never really like laid it all out there mm-hmm. on the table and it was great because it really set the stage for a safe and comfortable environment when we Decided to engage in sexual activities because I knew exactly, you know, what was coming, and he knew, you know, what my limits were. Yeah. We didn't have to like. You know, interrupt the play and be like, "Wait a minute, I don't like that." Yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to do that. Like when you're in the moment, it's awkward.
1: Well, and when you have sex, you're so intimate, you're so vulnerable with each other that you don't want to have that sort of level of uncertainty, right? And so, um, so for a lot of performers or or other individuals that come into the industry, what we wanted to give them is a a standardized way of talking about it, even though it's going to be long, Mm. Um, but it'll it'll open your mind towards all the things that are kind of out there Um, and then you're free to make your own choices but on the other side also it's sort of an educational tool Mm. of like here's good things to talk about, here's what you should think about, you know, maybe take a step back because we also, and we're going to incorporate it into the Inspire program because we also wanted to highlight to people that come new into the industry of like what the wealth of things that are out there are, mm-hmm. and that they are also in charge of controlling whether they want that or not.
0: Yeah, and educating new performers on the fact that they can't say no, because I know a lot of girls come in, they go on set, they don't really know what's expected of mm-hmm. them, their agent maybe didn't communicate it to them, or or whatever the case may be, and then they kind of get pushed into doing a scene that they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And they, they don't feel like they can say no, because they're young, and they're, you know, I've heard a lot of times girls say, I was the only girl on set mm-hmm. and I didn't you know and if I said no and I wouldn't do this then they couldn't do the scene because maybe that was specifically what the scene was supposed to be about and then everyone, no one's going to get paid and everyone's going to get home and people are going to hate me and then um people are going to complain that I'm difficult and I'm not going to get any yeah. more work you just get like into this really awkward situation yeah. and that's played out in a couple of scenarios lately um, just this year mm-hmm. in the industry which has you know provoked a lot of intense conversation.
1: Well and I think that that's the other part that I um, that I work really hard on for the industry is that we should all understand that we're human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, We all have Different days. We all have different moments in our lives when we're on our top of our game, when we're not on the top of our game. Mm -hmm. And we all have different experiences and baggage that we carry around. So sometimes it's, it's just so important that we have good communication, that we respect each other. We can agree to disagree. We can say, I don't like this and that's great and then walk away. Um, we don't, we don't all have to sort of go around bashing each other's heads over everything every day. Mm -hmm. And so what I, what I love during Top 60, was that coming together? And Mm. was that laying our differences aside? You know, the Mm. gay industry, the straight industry, so... We'll get into that. Um, they everybody worked together and everybody was in such great unity that we were able to create this incredible victory for ourselves mm-hmm. together. And so, um, my my favorite hashtag is always "United We Stand" mm-hmm. because divided we fall. Mm-hmm. And um, and for so long we've like allowed our own internal divisions to like make us an even smaller group. Like there's mm-hmm. there's the fifty queer people over here, and then there's like the big straight industry, and then there's like the awkward gay industry, and mm-hmm. then there's so. And Instead of saying, hey, we all do sex for money, we're all in the stigma together, we all receive the same bullshit every day from banks, from educational institutions, from the government, Um, from wherever you turn, we can all work together in fixing this. I always hate when people just drive wedges into it, and that always makes me really sad.
0: Have you seen the adult industry kind of fracture lately? (laughs) Because I feel like... I feel like I've seen both ends. I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of fracturing going on. You know, there's been a lot of deaths and suicide in the industry, which you know has caused a lot of heated contention and has been really painful for a lot of people. Um, and then you know, different accusations of you know misconduct on set, uh, sexual harassment, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But then I've also seen you know people coming in and you know on social media. You know, what I really liked is the way that like the, the the new the words the sex worker word is kind of like new in the vernacular. Mm -hmm. of the adult industry and you know before it was always like it was porn stars then it was hookers then it was like cam girls and it was like they were all different things and there was a lot of you know porn people saying like oh she's a hooker I don't want to work with her and there Mm -hmm. was like and now I just see like you know there's an attempt of people to really bring people together like saying look shaming other sex workers doesn't you know help all of us because Mm -hmm. all of us we are all sex workers it doesn't really matter in which you know perspective Precise, um, you know, cubby hole you want to put yourself in, but we're all sex workers, and we should all come together. And that's that's something new that that I've seen, which is really great. So it's yeah. like. It's interesting you see
1: like kind of both sides. There's a little bit of a shift going on, and and so a lot of the things that you just spoke about, from uh, from suicides to bullying to sexual abuse and harassment, a lot of those things we we see very clearly, and that mm-hmm. that's what dictates a lot of our work. When we see an issue, we try and figure out ways of solving it, preventing it from happening again, mm-hmm. but also providing services to the people that had that lift experience mm-hmm. in order to try and stabilize them, in order to help, in order to do whatever we can. So we've built. We've built a long network around that. But, um. I think uh, so seeing yourself as a community that has something in common is much more powerful than seeing yourselves as individual groups that don't have anything in common mm-hmm. so yes I love the term sex worker because I think that it's an incredibly valuable and empowering one mm-hmm. um, I think it I think it speaks lengths to understand yourself as somebody that does that um, uh, and it creates a sense of um, empathy and understanding of one another because we we do know that um, we have a lot of performers that don't just perform in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the stigma that is levied against sex workers in the United States is also just terrifying. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not, and it's not helping anybody. It's not making it go away. Mm-hmm. And what it actually does is it pushes more people into the shadow, it pushes more people uh, into dangerous situations. Um, a lot of your listeners will probably have heard that Foster SESTA was signed into law by President Trump in April. Um, that has, that has Destroyed safe havens for or, or safe places for for sex workers to negotiate with clients to understand whether a client is safe. Um, that has removed them from a safe environment that was filtered through the internet um and put them back onto the street where they're not safe. Mm-hmm. And so until we decriminalize sex work and until the government actually puts in efforts to um, provide services to sex workers, to provide outreach, to provide, you know, different things, I think everybody should take a step back and say, hold on, we're criminalizing a population which probably only increases the trafficking efforts that are out there. So we should all take a step back and look at, okay, what can we actually do to be productive Mm -hmm. and not to just say words that'll ring well in election years. of Like, I achieved this and it doesn't really do anything. So
0: I assume you support the legalization of prostitution.
1: I support the decriminalization of sex work as a first step. I think legalization is definitely a path that'll be good in the future. Mm -hmm. I think before we make laws, which then implies legal before we make laws and regulations that regulate sex work, again drawing back on our experience with Proposition 60 and other legal efforts or legislative efforts, we want to make sure that the people that try to make those rules understand the needs, understand the requirements, understand the nuances of what sex work is, mm-hmm. um, because those those can only be translated by people that have lived experiences. And what I feel very uh, enthused about is that we see legislators across the United States—not many, but But some stepping up to the game and saying, I hear you. I see you, and I think that what we've done as a government is not helpful. And I want to I want to sit down with you, learn your story, and understand how I can be of better service to you because I am a public servant. I'm an elected official that's supposed to be representing you, mm-hmm. and if I'm not, then I'm not doing my job. And I think a lot of this shift is happening on the national on the political stage. I think the last two years have really strongly highlighted where our com- where our country is faltering, um, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and where we put priorities into the wrong place. Should we really spend more money on discussing where people go pee or should we figure out how people can sleep under a roof? Right. Um, should we figure out who can marry who or should we figure out that our that uh, that our education system is well funded, that our healthcare system is easily accessible, right. that our lives are easily lived rather than just struggles of 14 hour jobs every day mm-hmm. in order to just make that rent payment and then still have nothing to live for. Right. That's not the American dream or that's at least not what I moved here for and and that's never what I understood the United States to be. Right. So I think we're seeing a lot of shifts in a lot of different ways. Um, the Women's March, uh, um, they had an internal struggle around sex work, of course. But there was a struggle. Mm-hmm. There was a conversation around it. And I think that that was incredibly valuable mm-hmm. of sort of elevating uh, elevating that to the top. And I, I wish if our industry saw itself more like a community that has so very much in common, mm-hmm. um, I think we could. Achieve a lot more, a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Um, we see the point as a public health crisis rhetoric, which we talked about right. briefly, which is nonsense. Um, There's a
0: lot of shame also too attached to people who come into the industry because they feel shame by their family, by mm-hmm. their friends, obviously by the public.
1: Well, and I think as a gay man, I can speak to some of that. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's not my lived experience, but um, I can I can speak to what that does when you lose your family over who you are, mm. um, uh, when you lose your community over who you are, when you suddenly feel like somebody that nobody cares about those are terrifying things and so I think that as an industry as a community we have that responsibility to together lift up each other right sorry preachy soapbox no no
0: this is good Monday mornings (laughs) (laughs) are you are you hopeful for the future do you see a positive future for the adult industry
1: I think if I weren't hopeful for the future, I couldn't actually fight every day. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist with a very real, realistic, pessimistic side. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Um, I am hopeful. I think we're seeing a lot of great things. I think we're seeing the, um, the, uh, improvement of performers' lives through being less dependent, um, on big production companies, being more independent. Now, that's a problem to FSC members, our corporate members, of course, our companies that actually fund us, Mm -hmm. um, are getting smaller and smaller. Their revenue streams get smaller. So I'm worried about that at all times because I also worry about my team. I worry about the work that we do, but I think that the empowerment of performers is a great value to the industry. And what I love is we're seeing so many more companies pop up, um, that really care tremendously much about performers. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, um, I think that uh, uh, most of our FSC members are very much on board with all of that, and I think it's kind of a time where we will see the companies that, um, treat each other well, that treat performers well, um, that are fair, equal, and communicative with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I think those will be the ones that continue to, to, to strive, that'll continue to grow. And then there's other companies that might rightfully fall off the list. I can't think of a single FSC member that would deserve that, but, Mm -hmm. um, but I think, but I think there are you know there are places, and we know that there are producers that we don't support or that we don't like. Right. Um, that there are places where we're like, ah, oh, this is weird. Why? Why do you act like this? Why do you pretend that you're not part of this industry? Right. right. Um, and we do have black sheep, just like any other industry, we would have black sheep. Right. Um, and so, uh, so I would hope that a lot of this changes. My biggest worry is honestly the division between the. And we wanted to talk about this. I don't know if we still have time between the uh, straight content side, so the content that is made for a straight identifying audience, and the content that is made for a gay identifying audience. I think that I think that if we could bring those two industry groups closer together, and a lot of that revolves around HIV, um, then I think we would have a lot better time.
0: Yeah, that's a whole other conversation because like, I know you have. uh I mean, it's twelve
1: fifteen.
0: I have time. You have time. I'm good. Okay. I think we should we can, get to that.
1: We can do a little bit more.
0: Okay, we'll do a little bit more. A because, little bit more, because there there is a huge divide between yeah. the straight industry and the adult industry, and myself working on the straight side. Like, there's so much I don't know about mm-hmm. the gay industry, and it's and only even recently our award ceremonies started handing out like. Some awards to the gays and to the trans and like allowing them to come up on stage and accept like one award instead of
1: just announcing a picture and Right. Done. Exactly.
0: So like they're kind of slowly trying to accept and integrate yeah. them into the straight mainstream porn industry, but it's slow. Yeah. So educate me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Give me things. Um, so, uh, so. Uh, we've talked a little bit about testing, we've talked a little bit about HIV, right. so I'm gonna try and tie some of these things in. Okay. And I'm sorry if I make everybody's ears bleed.
2: That's okay. You um,
1: can always turn it off. And that no pause and come back. Yes. Um so, uh, so, the industry understands itself relatively clearly in the way that the industry protocols were built because they were built out of real community needs and, and mm-hmm. sort of learned and lived experiences. So on the, on the straight content side, so the content that's produced for a straight audience, um, uh, we mostly use what is called the pass system, which is based around the testing protocols, which require a 14 day test. So within, if you want to perform on the, on the, uh, on the, 14th of the month, you must have had a test on the first or second in order to still be eligible and to be cleared, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, actually, that's a good question because, okay, so if it's, uh, so what's today? Today is November 5th. So if my,
1: you're gonna make me do math.
0: (laughs) Wait, so if my test expires on November Uh 5th, Mm -hmm. am I still okay to work that day?
1: So, um, Ideally, you want to go and get a new test because your test is going to expire today. Right. Um, so, but as long as and the easy answer to that question is actually log into the pass system. If you're still cleared in the pass system, you if you still have a green check, check mark, yes. you're still good to work today. Okay. If you have a red X, then you don't. Okay. And s- the reason why that answer is not simple is because um, the 14 day clock starts on the day when you when your specimens are drawn. Mm-hmm. So the industry uh, the industry protocols require testing for HIV hepatitis. C, hepatitis B, syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and trichomoniasis. Those are the big seven that we require testing for. When you go in and get tested on the 1st, that's when your 14 days start ticking, and so on the 14th, your test is going to expire. It's not when you get your results back, it's when your test is actually being done right? Um, the reason so why the, the pass, window
0: actually where you perform with the test is actually smaller than 14 days yeah
1: so it's 13 it's 12 to 13 days generally so we require our our participating labs to r- provide results back within 24 to 48 hours cuz otherwise it'd be really unfair to performers yeah. um, so
0: sorry, i sorry i've just one more question yeah. because this is still technically sort of a voluntary thing mm-hmm. like there's no law That makes you have to get tested. It's just that, you know, all of the big reputable countries. Uh, companies who don't want to be basically blacklisted yeah. by the rest of the industry follow this protocol. Now, when the 14-day test window was introduced and certain companies started op- um, adopting that as mandate, such as MindGeek, there were mm-hmm. other companies that were still okay with the 30-day testing window. Does that still exist? Does anybody still pa- follow the 30-day testing window? Or no? That's- I
1: only know of one talent agency and one company that still works with 30 days. Interesting. Um, and that's against industry protocol. Um, okay. Because the reason for that is is that on that fourteenth slash fifteenth day, the risk of an HIV transmission ex- starts increasing exponentially right, so the risk is almost double on the fifteenth day mm-hmm. than it was on the fourteenth so it's um and that's a lot of math and statistics yeah. and I don't want to bore everybody to death, but there is medical reasons why we say fourteen days it was decided by infectious disease specialists doctors I'm not a doctor, I hold no degrees I'm a high school, I'm a high school person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um so you're welcome. So don't mistake me for any medical advice either. But um but uh uh so there are professionals that have made those decisions. And actually when we were at Cal OSHA, we were advocating for them, if they're doing a regulation, to please put our testing protocols into the regulation. Right. Because it is so effective. We know that it's more effective than condoms because we haven't had an HIV onset transmission since 2004. Right. So there is a big thing. And the, the f- 28 to 14 day change actually happened in 2013. So yes, in the beginning there was kind of like what? No, we're not going to do that. And then everybody realized that everybody was requiring it. Yeah. And so um, we also operate a subsidy fund to help performers pay for the tests. Mm-hmm. Um, it really only comes down to about $20 per test that we can subsidize and the panels are expensive but we try and help those that need help Um, so for those that are interested in that please also uh, sign up for that Um, you can do that by emailing us info at freespeechcoalition.com and uh, so so on the straight content side um, we predominantly work with PASS Mm -hmm. just because um, so the way that sex is perceived by a straight audience is predominantly condomless.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um uh, also we test predominantly on the gay, on the straight side because it is the safer option for many people in the straight industry, and it's a great option. We also allow for condoms. So if people want to take condoms or use condoms, then that's obviously also a thing. Um on the um on the gay side it's predominantly focused around condom usage because if you think back to Philadelphia, remember that movie? Yes. So that's oh, when, yes. yeah. So, so when I grew up and I was a little gay boy in a little village outside Berlin, um, behind the wall, um, and, uh, well, after the wall fell, I saw the movie and, um, I looked at that movie. I was like, this is how I'm going to die. I'm going to have to listen to some weird opera singer that I don't know and I'm just going to die of AIDS. And so the gay the gay community adopted condoms as the like as the status quo sexual health option. Mm-hmm. As it was the only way to prevent HIV. The straight side you know, straight families that were predominantly monogamous, um, they were like, ah, oh, you know, we've been married for like 30 years. We don't have sex with other people. She takes the pill. We don't need to use condoms. For gay men, that was a very different story. So in the gay porn industry, we've actually seen that. Um, they predominantly only rely on condoms right? um, because they feel more comfortable with that. Also, part of that conversation, and this is where it becomes tricky and where I need people to open their minds towards a new or more inclusive way of thinking, is... There are people living with HIV. Mm-hmm. There are people in our industry that live with HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it's important that we create an environment where the person not living with HIV as well as the person living with HIV can be safe and, um, and not harassed for whoever they are, whatever they choose, whatever they consent to. Mm-hmm. So. Our testing protocols, the PASS system, currently does not allow for anybody that lives with HIV to be part of the protocol, right. which is partially why the gay industry doesn't use it, mm-hmm. because there are a lot of gay performers that are HIV-positive living with HIV. Mm -hmm. I myself, one of my partners is Mm HIV-positive. I'm on pre-exposure prophylaxis. He's on treatment. We've never used a condom. Everybody is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just science. And so if we can get some of the 80s, 90s rhetoric of fear that was Mm -hmm. pushed into us really hard, and in the first years was really effective, but we didn't consider what the fallout of it would be 20, 30 years later. If we can lay some of that aside, I think we we could close that So what we're trying to produce is, so we're going to have the PASS system, and what we're thinking about is, okay, so how can we bring testing as a standard to the gay industry without discriminating against people living with HIV? Because that's the big question. Right and so there are different uh, different forms of HIV tests Um, there is one that is called a viral load test so instead of a qualitative when you check is there any HIV there's a quantitative which quant basically count Um, you can count the number of how much HIV there is in the blood Mm -hmm. because we know that if you have less than 50 copies of HIV in a milliliter of blood um, then you're counted as undetectable which means that the virus can't infect somebody else so would it be beneficial and this is the question that we ask ourselves: Would it be beneficial to build a system around that protocol for people living with HIV, so that they can also safely work within the industry without being discriminated against, without um, without uh, uh, being sort of cast out or otherwise? But the gay side of the industry has built a really good way of being inclusive and and being communicative about it. Mm-hmm. And um, FSC sort of—I mean, I've only been there for three years, which sounds ridiculously long, but it's really not. If you look at all the different fires that flame up every day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we're, we're looking at, okay, so where do we medically stand? How can we navigate this? We don't want to scare people into thinking that they're going to end up working with someone that they don't want to work with based on whatever reason, whether it's the HIV status or because of something else. Um, but simultaneously, we also don't want to cut all of them out mm-hmm. so it's just a question of how do we navigate that how do we how do we uh, how do we improve it how do we uh, levy better education better knowledge to sort of reduce the stigma which is the same that exists in the general public mm-hmm. a straight couple that has never engaged with the LGBT community or HIV at large they will have the same prejudices against HIV as they were talked about in the 80s and 90s right versus the gay com- uh, the gay industry or the gay community where it's an ongoing standard conversation Mm-hmm. Like whenever I meet somebody, I'm like, hey, are you positive? Are you negative? I'm on prep. I'm cool. What's what's up? Let's have right. a conversation. On the on the straight side, it's like, oh my God, no, we can't talk about that. Um, I mean, and there's so- even
0: like some people that complain about <laughs> like, you know, a certain uh Director HIV positive being on set and like interacting yeah. with the performers in many way whatsoever, y- like not having sex with yeah. them but just touching, touching. them and yeah. stuff like that, and there was a lot of fear around yeah. that.
1: And so, you know, again, I think that nobody's fear should ever be um, dismissed. made dismissed. Mm-hmm. So. Um, all your feelings are valid. Whatever you feel is absolutely valid, but maybe let me help you understand those feelings better, and maybe let me give you a couple of viewpoints. I'm not going to try and argue with you or convince you of anything, but I want to give you the full picture, and I think that that's where the United States as a society, as a culture has completely failed itself, Mm. is we're not allowing ourselves to see the whole picture. We're not allowing ourselves to understand nuances. We think of a box, and if you don't fit in that box, then you don't fit in this country, and that's really unfortunate. And so sex workers, transgender individuals, queer individuals um, a lot of people of color they're all thrown out of that box because they don't fit in that American standard box and so (laughs) I just, uh, I want to take some of that box and just like shred it and let people sort of be more fluid and be more free and more communicative and sort of learn from each other and all the things what I am very excited and then I'll stop talking um, (laughs) maybe, possibly, I don't know, you gave me a microphone this is a dangerous situation (laughs) Um, what uh, what I'm really excited about is so the past system was built in 2011 when right. AIM, which you probably still remember, oh I remember, I used was to keep like their
0: calendar, their yearly calendar. Yes, I should do a calendar. We should.
1: Can we do a vintage calendar too? Yeah, like if you have like old photos. Uh, but we I need, do. We need, I have need, all need,
0: the pictures that oh I, I saw for, for AIM. Amazing. I have all of them still. That's amazing. I so, never throw anything that. So I shoot AIM
1: out. was basically destroyed. Um, yes, I remember and, that. And so the industry was suddenly left without any safety protocols because we. All heavily relied on AIM. The production was very central in Los Angeles. For Everything those of you was- who don't
0: know, AIM was the adult industry testing. Yeah, the adult
1: Men- Med- industry medical foundation, right, or something along those right. lines, headed
0: by Sharon Mitchell, yeah. who was a uh, performer.
1: Yeah. So, so, and that was that was sort of the first onset of testing, right? Right. And then, um, so when AIM was shut down, the FFC was sitting there and my predecessor, Diane Duke, in 2011, were like, oh, what do we do? So they set out and did a really good, great and quick job in creating what was then called APHSS, mm-hmm. which we later morphed into PASS because it's just not yeah. a good acronym for anything. Right. So, um, so it became PASS. And so PASS has evolved over time, but our website hasn't much. So if mm-hmm. you go on fscpass.com you'll understand what PASS is. It totally works. If you're a performer, a producer, uh, a talent agent, you can log in, you can check the person by their legal name or by an ID number in order to make sure that they're clear, that they're compliant with the industry requirements, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not very pretty or informative. Mm. So um, what we've also been working on over the last year very strongly is um, we're building a complete new front end mm-hmm. to pass. So there will be sexual health education information. So you know a lot of the stuff that we just talked about in regards to HIV, herpes, et cetera, mm. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be a lot, there's gonna be a wealth of information, there's gonna be information about how to access certain stuff. Like, you, if you don't have a hepatitis A or hepatitis B vaccination, here's where you can go and get them. Mm-hmm. HPV vaccination, here's where you can go and get them. Pre-exposure prophylaxis, post-exposure prophylaxis, HIV treatment, transgender health resources, healthcare linkage, et cetera. So, we're building a really big resource site that is specifically focused on language that the adult, that applies to the adult industry. Mm-hmm. Cause like, You can find all of this stuff out there on the internet, but a lot of it doesn't talk to our community mm-hmm. so we wanted to do something that talks to our community and really allows them to. to
0: have it all in one place
1: yeah exactly yeah. and so you know freespeechcoalition.com and fscpass.com are going to link back and forth a little bit on certain topics and issues but our my goal was um, I think that the pass system is so incredibly valuable and we're, we're building out some back end features as well to make it easier to use like mobile friendliness mm-hmm. which wasn't really a thing in 2011 I guess yeah. but it definitely has <laughs> been since now. 2011 yeah. so <laughs> and uh, so there is a lot of things that we're working on and we're really really excited about because um, I think we can close a lot of the divides that I spoke about over the last mm-hmm. hour we can close them by just filling them with knowledge yeah. and by filling them with understanding and um, and then hopefully one day we'll all sit there and be like united we stand.
0: Yay. Eric, thank you so much. I've learned so much today. And I'm supposed to know all of these things and I don't. I didn't, but now I do. And I, I feel like so much better informed and I think um, all my listeners will too. And I, hopefully they will understand the adult industry and the you know, kind of back end with everything that we're doing to try to protect the performers and the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any like last words that you want to tell our listeners that they should... I don't know, that you want them to take away from this or maybe just plug all your... Plug all your
1: pluggables. Well, first I want to thank you for your time and thank you for inviting me and sorry for of being course. so difficult to schedule. No,
0: it's fine. You're a busy man. <laughs>
1: anybody who knows LA knows that driving over the hill is kind of a very long journey. Yes. Um, so I want to thank you for that. And I think, um, I don't want to plug anything more about FSC or the industry. I think um, anybody who's listening, I, just, I, just, uh, uh, I hope that some of what we talked about today will open up your hearts and minds towards people that may be different, communities that are different, different lifestyles, different choices in that um, hopefully we can all come together and sort of lay away some of our differences or value our differences instead of finding them destructive pieces of our lives
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: and uh, instead of hating each other just loving each other a little bit more because I think if we've learned anything about the last two years we all need a lot more love yes, yes we do
0: so where can people go to, once again, I know you've already said this, but I just want to make sure that you drive this home. Where can people go to find out more about the Free Speech Coalition? Where can they donate?
1: So follow us on Twitter at FSCarmy. uh, fscarmy.com. This is how bad a millennial I am. I don't even <laughs> understand Twitter. No, so follow us on Twitter at fscarmy. Uh, you can also follow the PASS system if you want to keep on track with health advisories or other things, so follow um, at fscpass. Um, and to learn more about FSC, the work that we do, just visit our website, www.freespeechcoalition.com com, um, And if you want to learn more about FSC Pass or maybe take a peek when the new website's live, uh, go on fscpass.com. Um, and if you ever have any questions, our email addresses, our phone lines, um, they're all on the website. Um, and uh, I think everybody in my team, my staff, our volunteers, they'll all be more than happy to talk to anybody about just about anything.
0: And then you have your own personal Twitter as
1: well. Oh, I do. Yeah. It's Eric Paul. <laughs> 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 Sorry, we were joking earlier that nobody could pronounce my last name. Rightly so. It's a great conversation starter. It's uh, E-R-I-C-P-A-U-L-L-E-U-E um, with a little at symbol in the front. Perfect.
0: And you guys can follow me at Holly Randall on Twitter and Instagram. Eric, thank you once again for coming in. This thank was you. such a valuable conversation and um, I'm so glad that we could finally make it happen.
1: You're super welcome. What are we talking about next? <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. You're
0: welcome. Well, if you've listened all the way up to this point, I'm going to assume you're probably a fan of the podcast or at least of this episode. So what I would appreciate more than anything is if you would rate and review my podcast, please give me five stars. I would so appreciate it. And also tell your friends about it. Um, word of mouth is a really powerful tool in getting podcasts up there in the charts and if you want to financially support this podcast which i would appreciate even more um you can go to patreon.com slash holly randall unfiltered i have all kinds of cool tiers you can watch these interviews live you can watch the full-length podcast interviews which i now only make available on my patreon you can get free mugs and shirts join my private snapchat get signed prints from the girls there's a lot of cool stuff that i give away Next week on the podcast, I have financial dominatrix Sierra Lynch on. This is a fetish, which is fascinating to me. And I don't know a lot of people who do it. So I'm very excited to have her here. She's going to educate us all on what this fetish is all about. And uh, I think we're going to learn a lot. So make sure that you tune in next week for Sierra Lynch on Holly Randall Unfiltered.